Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what will be... A predictable episode. This week, we're joined by Aaron Ross. Aaron Ross is a guru. His model, Predictable Revenue, is a model that some of the biggest SaaS technology firms in the world have built their sales model around. So this is going to be an incredible episode, and we're going to talk all things predictable revenue and predictable prospecting. He's also the co-author of predictable prospecting with one of our favorites, Mary Lou Tyler. So I can't wait to get into this episode. Now guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanna make a shout out to all the sales folks, all the sales pros, all the business owners, everyone who's out there hustling. Right now, it is a challenge and we can't deny the fact that what is happening in the world is something that most of us have never experienced before. I know I certainly haven't experienced anything like this. As I do this episode, I've been home for the past, I don't know how many weeks, and like many of you, I'm not sure you know when we're going to get to go back into the real world, but this will pass, and I'm confident that we will be better as a result. We will be better for what's happening right now, and everything happens for a reason, and you know, times are tough, and I'm getting a lot of messages from a lot of my listeners, um, a lot of sales folks out there who are finding it really difficult. But I think that the best thing that we can do right now is focus on the fundamentals, focus on the basics. And, you know, people like Aaron Ross, who share some incredible insight, um, these are the reasons why I put this podcast together so that I can inspire and help sales professionals be the best salespeople they can. Before we get into today's episode, please take the time to connect with me on LinkedIn, continue to share those messages of love because it's awesome to hear how we are impacting you on a daily basis. So before we get into it, we have a message from our sponsors, Vanilla Sauce. So guys, for all of you out there, for most sales professionals, we are all using a CRM. You know, CRM was designed for managing relationships. However, sales engagement is designed for starting them. Now, current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. Vanilla Soft is a sales engagement platform like no other. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. So guys, if you're using another sales engagement platform, stop right now and head over to VanillaSoft.com. Get yourself a free trial because it will help you close more deals. It will help you have more conversations so you can get more opportunities in your pipeline and close more deals. So thank you to the team at VanillaSoft for bringing you this podcast on how to close more deals. So guys, buckle up, enjoy the episode, Predictable Revenue with Aaron Ross. So welcome to the show, mate. Hey, thanks, Luigi. Happy to be here. Not, you know, like literally here, just more like virtually here. 
<laughs> well, mate, re- really excited to talk to you. I think, you know, the topic of building predictable revenue models is, you know, a hotly debated topic, I think, because a lot of businesses, um, you know, a lot of businesses want to generate more revenue. They want to grow, um, but some haven't, you know, got the discipline to drive you know, that process that enables them to achieve that predictable revenue, those predictable revenue streams. So I'm really excited to talk about this exact topic and, and get some, you know, some do's and don'ts from, from one of the, you know, the, the global experts in this space. Okay. Yeah, because when you use the word debate, I hope, I'm sure there's not much of a debate on, you know, do people want predictable revenue and the model behind it. But I do think there's sometimes some confusion, some disagreement or uncertainty around like, how do you follow the steps? I think the steps are generally clear, at least to me, yep. which we'll get into what those steps are. But um, again, everyone can implement them a bit differently because there's so many types of businesses. Um, but there are definitely some things that people need to do, whether they agree with it or not. Yeah. And this is exactly why I'm, I'm really excited about talking to you um, about this topic. So, But before we dive into you know, such an exciting topic, um, are you able to share with us how you started in, in the world of selling? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, you know, the short version is uh, I started my own company. Really went back to start my own company, and it's been a while. This is uh, I don't know, like around ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine. Um, we raised a few million dollars in venture capital. The company went out of business, and one of the reasons, one of the key reasons, was because I, as the CEO, didn't know how to build and manage a sales team in a sales process, in a sales system. I mean, every entrepreneur or every person who's entrepreneurial can sell in some way, right, to inspire people um, to either to raise money, to sell an idea, sell themselves. But it's different than building a sales system that can bring money into a company. And I knew that if I was going to start another company, I'd have to know how to do that. So I said, I'm going to go to salesforce.com and get a job in sales there because that would be the best way to, you know, learn how to sell by doing it. Uh, and again, I, jobs are great. You can get paid to learn if you look at a job that way. Mm. So I went to Salesforce. Salesforce is about 150 people, about 25 million in revenue. So it was when they were still really, you know, a lot smaller because now they must be, I mean, they're tens of thousands of employees now and yeah. I don't know how many more than 10 billion in revenue. Um, just started an inside sales team. And I ended up, so the job I had taken was basically responding to website leads, right? So it was the most entry-level sales role there. Yep. And I'm glad I, I checked my ego. I, I went from being, you know, CEO of a funded company to, it's called sales rep there, but really just like the most junior, like a, almost like a sales intern. Yep. Um, but I wanted to learn. That was number one. I ended up creating a uh, outbound prospecting system, an outbound selling system that dramatically grew sales there, helped basically filled the pipeline of salespeople. Wow. So it was very predictable. We could get as many sales appointments as we needed. And this was with really like medium and bigger companies. Uh, this is before people knew who Salesforce was too. Mm. When uh, in the East Coast or where I was working, um, we took um, salesforce.com and they'd say, well, do you guys do like basically sales outsource selling? Right. So there, this was before, and this is still when on demand was still this, and SaaS was this new thing. Like companies did were, did were uncertain about trusting their data to some SaaS company uh, before the word SaaS was around. So that was where I really learned how to how to sell and to see how sales teams worked and um, what selling meant. 
So that, I mean, I never saw myself as someone who would be in sales or even be a sales thought leader or sales author. But I think I just, to me, realized how vital, how much of a life skill selling is, Hmm. how important it is to any business or nonprofit or whatever you do and uh, embrace it. And I just happen to be, have a good head for it. And and to do systems around it, repeatable systems and predictable systems around lead generation and selling. Yeah. That's a great story, you know, and I I think that's one for a lot of people to to recognize in that, you know, like you said, you left your ego at the door and went from a CEO to work into a a, a so-called junior sales position. Describe the learning um, that you took away from that process. Well... So here's a couple ones. If, now if, and I don't remember actually which book I talk about this in. I think probably in, actually in both. It's so important. One of the, the most important lessons I learned was if you're an entrepreneur, or a, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to sell. Mm. You have to learn how it works, and that you mean selling by doing. I mean, you can read books, and I mean, of course, you can read Predictable Revenue. You could read from Impossible to Inevitable, or other. There's many good sales books that doesn't make you an expert. It gives you a really good start. The only way you really do it is by doing it. I don't care how many guitar videos you watch. If you don't pick up a guitar, you're not going to be good at playing it. Sales is the same thing. Entrepreneurship is the same thing. So as uh, a founder, co-founder, aspiring, whatever you want to be, CEO, you have to find some place to sell to learn how to do it. And it's one of your most vital skills. And so that's why I say CEOs need to sell them. If you're a founder, you should be selling or be part of that process for the first 10 or 20, you know, some number of customers. So that by the time you're ready to delegate it or hire someone, you actually know what you're doing. So you have a better sense of who to hire and if you, in, uh, what to teach, what should they do? Mm. And without that, without having been in the trenches yourself and selling in some way, and there are many ways to sell, uh, you're kind of flying blind. So that's, I think, the most fundamental lesson from for early stage entrepreneurs, aspirational entrepreneurs that I would tell people. That's something I learned again from losing millions of dollars in the company by not doing that. Yeah. You know, everyone should embrace that message because I, I too am a believer that, you know, selling shouldn't be just up to one person and, you know, it should be the role it should be the role of every person within an organization. Everyone has some role in selling whether it's selling internally or selling externally, you know, and so we all communicate and there is all True. there's ways of communicating. So I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah. I know by the one I want to country by country, community by community, there's lots of different um, degrees to the point of that people embrace selling or resist yeah. it because look, yeah, there's a lot of negative connotations with the word selling. There's a lot of, there's lots of people out mm. there that have manipulated lots of salespeople that manipulate and that still do manipulate Absolutely. that lie, that steal, that, um, you know, so there's a lot of people who've given selling a bad name, but that's also true of lots of professions. Mm. But in this case, you can, it's important to embrace selling as a skill that you need to learn to, in order to be successful at anything, whether it's in your career, like you actually made a great point. You have to sell internally as well. Mm. If you want to accomplish anything, or be proactive, whether that's start, again, starting a nonprofit, getting uh, a promotion, starting a company, you have to learn how to sell. And it can be done in an honest way that feels the best kinds of sales feel good for you and for the person you're selling to because you both yeah. win. 
It's not you win, I, mean, I win, you lose. That, yeah. That's not the best kind or the, or the right kind of selling. Absolutely. It's, it's, and it's really interesting you bring this up, you know, whether we're selling for a role. I mean, my, my daughter, I've got a 17-year-old. She's turning 17 in a week or two. She keeps reminding me, mate. She keeps reminding me she's almost turning 17. And she was about 14, wanted a job, um, 14 and four months. And so I said, okay. Um, she said, I haven't got a resume. I said, okay, well, let's build a resume. So we built a resume and we, you know, had a really compelling positioning statement on top of that resume. And then she said, well, how do we find a job? So the first thing we needed to do was build a prospecting list. So I went to the local shopping center, had a look at all the businesses that had a, you know, staff wanted in the window. We took a list of about eight, went back, my daughter helped my daughter draft the letter. Um, and then uh, next step was she went in there and introduced herself to the store manager and gave the letter with her resume. And out of the eight, she got six, I think she got five or six interviews and she got three job offers. So that was a, 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 that's a sales methodology. When you look at it, she prospected, she engaged, yeah. she followed up and she had a, you know, a, a clear lack of experience, but it wasn't the experience they were looking for. It was that her competition weren't facilitating that process. And so when I talk about, you know, selling, um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, selling is in everything that we do. You know, we are always communicating a message. And you're right, it's got to be a win for both parties. And I love the fact that you've recognised that there are still people out there. Um, and I saw an interesting report from HubSpot saying that, you know, buyer trust is at an all-time low. Um, when, you know, our profession, I believe the, the, you know, the profession of selling is about helping, um, is about helping people through the buying process and helping them achieve a better state. And for me, that's not manipulation. That's not persuasive sales tactics or anything like that. So I do believe we've got to really clearly separate this, the profession of selling versus the, the shysters out there and the people that are doing dodgy stuff. Yep. I think there's, a, there's also another form of um, selling. It's important to realize that it's easy if you are in business or you, whether you call yourself a salesperson or not, you could be in marketing, you could be in operations, you, it doesn't matter where you are, but you see people, and in this case, salespeople will see customers, and, and they're not making the right decision for themselves. Mm. And so there actually can be some persuasion because most of the customers that you will deal with are not going to be very good at making decisions. Yeah. They will be confused or unclear, or if it's at a big company, at big companies, it's hard to buy things. Absolutely. It's hard to get internal approval to make change. So much of the role of a salesperson is again, helping the right customers. So the ones you think are a good fit, make the best decisions for themselves, which hopefully a lot of times would include buying your, you know, your product or service. Um, and I mean, so if you don't think your product or service is a good fit, you would tell mm -hmm. them. And honestly, if you think that another company's product or service is a better fit, uh, you might tell them that as well. Yeah. So I think honesty is really important. It's, it's being honest with, yes, you do want to sell your product or service to the right customer and you want them to be successful. Um, and it's okay. You want the customer to be successful as well. And sometimes a successful sale is you help the customer make the right decision, which again, may or may not include buying your product. Mm, absolutely. And that's that short term, you know, short sighted versus long sighted, you know, having that yep. real wanting to, to put the customer at the center of everything we do. 
So when we, when we look at, so your career, you went to Salesforce, um, they were relatively unknown. You helped grow that business. Um, you know, so is that where you found the passion for predictable revenue models? Uh, yeah, because, you know, to me, you know, I didn't know much about selling and sales, but once, uh, so salesforce.com, I, I started this job to respond inbound leads. I did that for about three months and I was kind of like bored. Um, but I, uh, well, I went there as, okay, I'll do this job. I'm going to learn and then I'll kind of figure out from there, I get a foothold, like how to make my own way there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I pitched this idea of, okay, let me figure out the outbound, outbound prospecting system because Salesforce was going towards bigger companies and uh, we didn't have pipeline for that. Yeah. We had tons of inbound leads, but they're all small business leads. We didn't have much in the way of large uh, sort of mid-market enterprise leads. We were spending a lot of money on products, a lot of money on field salespeople. Hired lots of field salespeople with the expectation that they would bring their relationships in, um, and they didn't, yeah. which is not necessarily a surprise. Happens all the time. So at Salesforce, um, so we figured out this outbound prospecting system using email and, and the phone to get appointments in a very predictable way. Mm. And one of the lessons there, too, is that you grow revenue not by hiring more salespeople, but by growing your leads. Right? So you sort of disconnect the idea that salespeople drive leads. Sometimes, in some ways, yes, the lead generation. Um, I mean, you get the best salespeople and products and process in the world, but mm. if you have irregular lead generation, you're going to struggle. Yep. If you have a great and predictable lead generation process, you can get a lot of other things wrong and still do well. Mm. So we created this outbound prospect, prospecting process that could generate a very predictable number of qualified sales appointments. And that came from me not really wanting to wonder if was I going to make my numbers the next month or the next quarter yep. or my team's numbers. I started, I was the first person prospecting, figured it out. And then we hired a second person to do it. They did it. Um, at some point we grew the team to 12 and 20 and so on. So it was really just me not wanting to feel like I was going to have to scramble yep. period to period. I was an engineer by kind of in school by mentality. And I just, and I love things like, one of my one of the most inspirational books at the time for me was reading this book called The Toyota Way, yeah. which was how Toy the Toyota yeah. car company, you know, basically transformed car manufacturing using a lean manufacturing. I was in this thing called Six Sigma, yeah. sort of like which is GE made famous about reducing defects. So really taking this engineering manufacturing mindset to sales, and it worked to make um, basically like try to have less stress on whatever, how are we going to grow this and we're going to mm. scramble month to month or not. Oh, fantastic. You know what, that, that whole Toyota production system is a well-oiled machine, you know, and, and a lot of businesses model, model off that, you know, that whole um, value stream mapping and what we call, you know, sales mapping. <laughs> so you then, you know, got into this, this predictable revenue, um, you know, mentality and, and, and brought that engineering sort of component or that process component and so tell us, for, for companies looking to build these predictable revenue models, um, some that are either generating a high volume of leads and looking to get more efficient in that space, you know, if they had a blank canvas, you know, what are the steps that they need to follow in order to build a high-performing predictable revenue model? Yeah, well, here's the most, the most important thing is to... Um, we call it sales specialization or sales role specialization. It's realizing that the, the classic way that salespeople were hired and expected to perform 
which is salespeople need to do their own prospecting. They might get some marketing leads, maybe not. They, if they get some, they need to respond to those. They need to sign customers and probably maintain customers as well. Um, that doesn't work. It doesn't create scalability or predictability. You have yeah. salespeople who just end up flailing around. Some do well, a lot don't. The model that works, the model that all the fastest growing companies, B2B companies will follow, right, this predictable revenue model, uh, is really modeled off of sports teams. I guess it's the best metaphor I've tried to find it, which is, I don't know any sports teams, you know, a football or soccer team, where the coach tells all the players to go out to, and, okay, everybody attack and everybody defend. <laughs> yes. I don't know. And so, but we've done that in sales for so long, and there's reasons. You know, a hundred years ago, you had to have salespeople out, field salespeople who had to carry their wares around and do all the mm. targeting and selling themselves. But today, so the model that works is you have different core roles. And in the books, we have these four core roles that fit most B2B companies. So the first is outbound prospecting. That means you have prospectors who prospect. That's different than the closers or account executives that do the sign, signing new customers. So that's the first two roles. The third role is if you have inbound leads, um, and you, you know, not 10 a month, but sometimes it gets to a hundred, 200, 400 a month in that range. Then you would have a separate person who's dedicated to responding to those inbound leads, those marketing leads mm. and passing just the, the best ones to the salespeople and those AE, the account executives. And then the last role, the fourth one is uh, sort of post sale. So this could be once the customers sign up, at some point you have different, a team or teams to take care of them. It could be account management, customer success. Um, but these four core roles, you know, outbound prospecting, mm. often today called SDRs or BDRs, yep. sales development reps, or outbound sales development reps, or business development reps. All they do is prospecting, and then versus the inbound, either inbound SDRs or sometimes called LDRs, lead development reps. And then the signers, the closers, AEs, and then mm. account management. Now, the way that you, the, the principle is focus. People yeah. in sales doing fewer things better, right? The prospectors are amazing at prospecting. The, the closers are amazing at that. And the reason is if people try to juggle too many roles, they end up doing multiple things not very well. So you can, if you only have two people, like you don't start with this when you have 10 people in sales. Yep. You start when you really have one person and they can focus by their time. If, I'm, if you're a CEO selling, you might block out time on your calendar to do whether it's prospecting or customer calls, whatever um, that important thing is you're not getting to. As soon as you have two people, you have typically a junior person doing appointment setting from outbound or inbound, plus a senior person closing. So again, you start from day one, this idea of specialization, and that is really your foundation or your building blocks for creating a scalable sales team and predictable revenue. Yeah. Taking some notes. This is great. So you talk about specialization, right? So... I speak to a lot of business owners, a lot of lot of you know sales directors that they go, well, my my, my business is unique. My business is very different, right? We've got we've got channel it partners, is. you know. Um, yeah. And so, what about when you when you've got businesses like that that have channel partners and they're they're generating leads for their channel partners and they're allocating those leads to channel partners to manage? Um, do these principles steps apply for them as well? Uh, for sure. And again, the way you apply the principle can vary. Um, and there's lots of kinds of partners. Sometimes there's companies that generate leads for partners. 
Uh, the partner closes them. Sometimes you might work them together. Sometimes yeah. the partners generate leads. You know, there's so many variations, but it comes down to is um, if you if you have a team, you could have the same kinds of roles in terms of partner management. Let's say you actually have a lot of partners, like a Salesforce.com, or some mm. companies have you know tens or hundreds of partners. So again, you could have prospectors who go out and find good partners. Yeah, you could have. Uh, inbound lead response, right? Responding to partners who are coming to your site. You could have basically account executives signing new partners and then partner success people or partner managers who manage a relationship. Um, if you're generating leads for partners and they're working them, so again, which you're kind of really thinking about which roles, it's usually I need to have more pe- more types of jobs so people can do fewer things better. If you only have one person managing all your partners, that's it. They have to do everything. Mm. As soon as you have two people, you should start to think, okay, how would I divide up the responsibilities? Like what has to help happen with my partners? Is one person like a part, like a lead generation kind of lead manager, marketing yeah. manager to help uh, your company or partners kind of generate leads. And the other person is more of like a sales person to help people either your company or the partners kind of like close the leads or how, mm. what are the key responsibilities that need to happen and how would you divide them up against among people? I mean, the whole thing is people who have too many jobs to juggle don't do them all well. So if there's really important things that need to happen, like we need to send up more partners, then someone needs to be responsible for signing up new partners and someone else, if you have two people probably needs to be responsible for making sure that the partners you sign up actually produce Yep. So, what we in your experience, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. In your experience, where do you see companies? Where does the predictable revenue model fall over for businesses, and and it's it's not as successful as it could be. Well, let's. Def- I've heard the term predictable revenue model used in different places. A lot of people associate predictable revenue with the model with sending uh, cold emails. Yeah. So then, like that's the model because the, the the predictable revenue book kind of made that famous. Mm. Um, I don't. That's not what I think. Of. I mean, sending cold emails is just a, one technique. It's one tactic. Just a channel. Yep. To me, yeah. To me, the model really is um, having first, you know, predictable lead generation and sales systems. Fundamentally, you always need some version of sales role specialization. The way your the roles you have your company. Um, or might vary. Most B2B SaaS companies have those four core roles, right? Inbound, yeah. outbound, closing, customers. If you have, um, and we included an example, and the sequel to the predictable revenue book is called From Impossible to Inevitable. And an example I included in there because it was different is of a company called Clio, which is a fast-growing um, law firm practices SaaS company in the States, uh, sorry, Canada, North America. Um, and they have like three core roles. So they have um, prospectors and closers for their kind of bigger law firms. Yeah. But for the, the small law firms, they're, you know, a lot easier to close. And they're really, it's all inbound leads. The same team, the, the people, they receive the inbound leads and they work to close them. Right. So again, they're, the sales cycle is easy enough where it made sense for them not to kind of have separate lead responders and closers these small practices, they combine that into one person. It's yep. just simpler that way. So I guess they just, a lot of it's how you make sure you have the right people doing the right jobs. Um, and that's really the fun foundation because if you 
have people, especially with salespeople, like if they're juggling too many things, everything else is harder. Mm. Um, lead generation is harder, hiring, ramping, measuring, it's all harder. Yeah. Any other things you want to do, if you want to put a new sales process, it's harder if they're, if they're doing all the too many jobs. Um, yeah. If I'm a salesperson, if I, have to, if I have to do prospecting and closing and managing customers, like that's a lot. Mm. That's a lot to, to learn about. It's a lot to manage. It's I have too many types of goals. There's too many responsibilities. So it's, uh, you know, it's just reemphasizing how important it is to think carefully about the, the types of sales roles. If you have a sports team in your sales team, mm. you know, who should be attacking, who should be midfield, who should be yep. defending, who should be the goalie. Right? Think through that because that is really what will make everything else easier, more clear, more scalable, more mm. predictable, no matter what else you do. That's yep. at the foundation of the predictable revenue model. Now, one other thing, a lot of people outbound prospecting in a predictable way is also what the predictable revenue book, I think, popularized. That really only works well if you have people dedicated to outbound prospecting. Mm. It's just too hard to do well part-time. And just to clarify, salespeople should prospect but a little bit. You know, if they have 10 or 20 or 30 key accounts. And the number can vary based on if you have enterprise, enterprise accounts versus lots of little ones, there should be a handful of accounts that can very easily track and manage. And the bulk of the other prospecting should be done by a dedicated prospector. Yeah. So with prospecting, that's, again, outbound prospecting. Um, whether you use cold email, cold calls, social media, we LinkedIn in North America is very successful. The techniques will vary, but it's, that's really about having a predictable outbound funnel where you can kind of measure mm. activity that they're putting in. So dedicated prospectors or a resource. Some people use outsourcing. Some people use internal mm. people. But you can say, if we do X, if we do X number of activities, we'll get Y results and then Z customers. Yep. That That's never going to go away. And then where it breaks down for companies, I think, is when they try to just copy paste other people's practices without adapting it to their own yeah. business because everyone is unique yeah um everyone is unique and like there are some things you can copy and paste you can let's go for prospecting you can kind of copy and paste a lot of email or linkedin or phone call techniques mm. but you can't copy and paste your targeting and your messaging which customers are the best ones and kind of how would you communicate with them what would you say so uh, i think where people typically break down with any kind of significant problem it may, maybe this is in life, but with predictable revenue is, this, it, uh, I think, usually impatience. Yep. They want things to happen unrealistically fast, quickly. And so they try something that doesn't work and they give up. Yeah, absolutely. Or they try a couple things, doesn't work, they give up. Well, they're not measuring the right data sets and they're not knowing where it's going wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. we're talking about if you're, you know, it's not uncommon to expect one or two years depending on how you define the scope. If you kind of are building a sales team, it might be a couple of years before you kind of have a team in place, a leader, and you're feeling confident with it. Yeah. If you're building even in just an outbound prospecting team, it could be a year or 18 months commonly to, I mean, it can happen faster. It can also happen more slowly. But it takes, I think, a lot more time than people realize to make these things work well with the right people yeah. and some kind of predictability and confidence. It's funny because I find that I think the the world of social has created a little bit of a challenge for a lot of businesses in in the um, 
and the abundant opportunities that it also creates, it creates a bit of a challenge. And businesses can very quickly turn on, you know, a couple of social ads, a couple of, you know, um, digital campaigns, it generates leads. But not having the systems then to manage those leads, or they're getting instant, you know, instant engagement, but they're not able to then, they haven't got the system or process to actually take them through a funnel and know exactly how many touch points or, you know, um, what are the key data points or what are the key points of the process that we need to facilitate to help them through the buying process. And again, that's where the whole MQL versus SQL, you know, I spoke with a business yesterday, high volume lead business, 6,000 leads a month for their sales team, but they treat them all the same. There's no lead scoring. So what's happening is their sales team is just completely and utter reactive um, because, you know, they're treating everybody the same and some aren't ready to be spoken to. And because they're not lead scoring, they're not actually knowing when they can't prioritise a sales team's time. Um, you know, so that's, that creates a, an interesting dilemma. So can I ask you a question? If you've got to say you're a sales director and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but the leads that I generate for my sales team, they're working well. Um, I want to get more, so I should just increase my inbound leads. Would you then advocate to create an outreach you know, strategy or team to help supplement some of the inbound activity that's occurring? Um, yes. Well, first, I think people can only do, companies can only make so many investments in time and energy. Yeah. So if you are getting inbound leads and you're having, you feel like a, a good success and turning them into revenue, um, but that's not really, it's called like systematized yet. Yeah. You don't necessarily have a lot of, uh, like a, maybe a marketing leader and a, a way to kind of drive growth there, it probably would make sense to start there and create more of an inbound leads machine. Okay. And that could take six months. Um, if you feel like, okay, inbound leads is working, we kind of have our metrics and um, we'll continue to grow it, that's good. Adding an outbound uh, prospecting function can be a great way to complement that and actually drive another way, another way to... Um, push off the day when your inbound lead, when your lead generation plateaus. Mm. So the challenge of inbound leads is that usually they, at some point they plateau, yeah. especially if they're just word of mouth and organic. So if you're a few hundred thousand to a few million in revenue, maybe if your leads are all coming through word of mouth and organically, you're going to hit a plateau mm. before you get to five or 10 million. So then what? Again, you, a, you can either create kind of predictable inbound campaigns in that program or an extra outbound or both. But you want to start because it can take a year or longer to kind of make these kinds of changes. So you don't want to wait till your inbound leads plateau yep. before you start investing. How are you going to continue to create that predictable lead generation, whether it's through other inbound ways or outbound prospecting. Mm. So inbound and outbound are great. You know, they're very, it's the peanut butter and jelly in the States. You know, maybe uh, in Australia, it's, it's a bread and Vegemite. Yeah. Uh, whatever your version is. Um, peanut butter and chocolate. So they go great together. And there's, you know, in the, at least in the States, I don't know about Australia, sure the blogs, but there's lots of people who on blogs would write about why would you ever do outbound prospecting and cold calling? It's rude to interrupt people. Like this, it's all bullshit. It's just Absolutely. people who are afraid of rejection. So ultimately, if you have customers out there that you know you can help and you can think about this, the right customer won't be upset that you're interrupting them. They'll be grateful that they found out about you. Mm. And so, yes, you're going to get, there's people that will be rejection, but 
uh, got to get over that and realize if you want also to help more people and drive more in predictable growth at your company, outbound is an incredibly predictable and proven way to do that. Oh, mate. This is incredible. I, I could talk about this with you for hours, man. This is such a um, an awesome topic to discuss. Uh, I think you know most a lot of a lot of our listeners will be taking many notes um, and and making some changes after listening to this podcast, mate. So I really appreciate you sharing this with us. Can I ask, in your career, um, has there been you know someone that's influenced your career in sailing, and why? Or who's been the biggest influence? Yeah. Okay, there's a couple ways I'd answer that. First, I mentioned the Toyota Way book. Yeah. I don't remember the author, right? That's one. Another book, actually, that was incredibly influential, more on the management side, was this book called Wooden. Uh, it's about John Wooden, yeah. who was the winningest college basketball coach. But the way he managed his team, I found was very inspirational and simple. It's a simple book, just the way that I manage my team. Um, so those, that's kind of like the business answer I think you're looking for. I don't want to have someone I look up to today, but uh, the, the, the non-obvious answer is really my wife and family have been incredibly inspirational because um, in a lot of ways it's because by having getting married and having kids and we went from, I went from zero to nine kids in like six years. Hang on, can you, we're going to press pause. Hang on, how many kids? <laughs> Yeah, we have we have nine kids, and we're going. We have another. Uh, there's a baby we're adopting soon. So oh, ten kids. No, but take yeah. my head off. I've got two, and I can't handle two. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, well, and two were from my wife's first marriage. Right? We've had three little kids together. We've adopted four so far. So that's Whoa. it. Was family hyper growth. Man, that's insane. Um, but the thing is, like having a family was. Uh, I would say my you know, my family's my fuel because I have to make lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> and I started at Salesforce early, but not early enough. Like I need I need to work. Um, the money I made at Salesforce, I went to pay off like old. I had a first marriage and divorce, like divorce debts, and that was years ago. Yeah. We big family in Western Los Angeles, um, but we're moving to Scotland soon. But I have to make money, so I've always had to keep going back and to get go deeper to learn more, get better, get better at learning, get better at teaching. Mm. Um, so that's really the thing that's driven the last 10 years, driven me to continue to learn and improve and get smarter and better about selling and teaching selling. Um, yeah. A lot of the motivation of the sequel to Predictable Revenue. So the, uh, the book that came in after that was called From Impossible yep. to Inevitable. And it's probably the, for, for an entrepreneur, it's a growth book, yep. not just a sales book. So for any entrepreneur, that's the best one to start with. And so a lot of that happened and the book happened and a lot of the information because big family uh, meant a lot of motivation for me to keep growing my business Yeah, and what I can do. Man, that's fantastic. I've um, Yeah, that was the non-obvious answer, but it's probably the <laughs> best one in terms of what do I, what, who motivates me yeah. in a different way. Well, that's incredible. You know, I mean, I think we've all got our why, right? And, and my why is pretty clear as well, man. My family... He's probably at the center of everything I do, man. So I wake yeah. up, I think, you know, it's, it's, I've been a dad since I was 20 years old. So, um, and my kids have come on my sales journey with me, man. I'm a four year old and my, and my daughter have come to work with me, early meetings with me when they were young, when I couldn't get a sitter and, you know, helping me bump into kiosks in shopping centers when I had my kiosk sales business. And, you know, so they are, 
they've lived a life of selling, man. And um, and I'm you know I'm proud of the fact that I've been able to show them, um, you know that you can achieve anything when you put your mind to it, man. So really appreciate you sharing that with us. And mate, yeah, if um, that's great. You could go back and do it all again. What's one thing you would do differently? Um, you know, it's all, you know, I, I get that question. I find it's hard to answer because kind of all the things I didn't do, you know, have kind of still made me or mistakes I've made maybe the person today. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have found my wife married earlier as one. <laughs> um, Business-wise, I think, you know, I like I, I you know, I'd like to say I would have published the predictable revenue book earlier, and yet because I had it in draft form for like four years, yeah, and yet the time that it sat there and what I continued to consult, and I just learned a lot of things to make it a better book. Yeah, so I would have published. I should have published it earlier. Um, you know, I think today I just I I see myself has like I don't like to write. I kind of got stuck on writing a couple of years ago after the last book. Um, you know, I, don't, I can't say I'm burned out, but I think that I just, <laughs> maybe my perfectionism is something. So I've really been working on how to start writing again. Cause the next book I want to do is called forcing functions, which is really been my kind of like single technique to force myself to yeah. do things that I may not want to do, like to get a book published and to mm. kind of continue to push myself uh, I'm not as naturally motivated as like an Elon Musk. So I need extrinsic motivation too um, to really kind of like be my best self and to grow. Uh, but in that, and I use this, I wrote about this in the From Impossible to Inevitable book, but the principles around if you want to get into shape, do you sign up for a gym membership mm. or do you sign up to do a marathon and tell all your friends? So that's kind of what works for me is committing to like public deadlines and yeah. continuing to just take the steps. So I think that's what I'm working on now. So I don't have future regrets of going back to writing and to kind of work on the next book. Yeah. Um, and I know I want to do more around how to juggle family and work. So there's kind of this, but even then this forcing functions um, really are so fundamental. I, it's, it's been so transforming for me. I want to get it out there in, in another way, I think in another mm. book. So to say not get stuck as busy yeah. as, as busy as I am, as tired as I get. Um, yeah, just there's a lot of excuses that we and I make for ourselves in terms of not taking that step to create the next thing or to just to create it all. Man, that's, you know, that's awesome. And that's, I think that's another, you know, that's a outside of selling where I call mindset, man. And I'm a big believer that, mm -hmm. you know, mindset and everything we do, man, our mindset is absolutely crucial. Amen. So, Aaron, mate, I uh, appreciate you sharing us, you know, your story. And um, do you mind me asking where we can, you know, where can our listeners find out about you? And we'll add that to the show notes. Sure. Um, the best book to start with uh, is probably, the, for most people, the From Impossible to Inevitable book. Yep. Uh, recently updated to an edition. That's from, from impossible.com. And then for me, my, our business, I do keynote speaking and we have a business called predictablerevenue.com yep. that does different kinds of outbound services like training and outsourcing, which is at, shockingly, predictablerevenue.com. Fantastic. So we'll add all that in the show notes, mate. So look, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on our podcast. Um, I've benefited from your, you know, from the Predictable Revenue uh, book. Um, also a big fan of Mary Lou Tyler. I love Predictable Prospecting, which was one of her other books that she co-authored. 
So want to thank you for your contribution to the sales community, mate. Um, and uh, we'll have to do this again. I think there's a couple of really cool webinars we could probably pull out and, and do together. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there would be. So, all right, Luigi, yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, mate.